welcome to the Geek Night In, episode 47. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm here this week with Tilly. Hi. And Gemma. Hello. This is the second time we have started the episode this week because we got into topics and then we realised Kate is not here this week and she then messaged <laughs> we us. We only just realised. Well, no, we, we, we knew she wasn't here. <laughs> we but started it and then we, we were like, wait, where's Kate? No, we started it and then Kate messaged us and we're like, oh, Kate, are you coming? She's like, nah, I can't make it. So... While we were working out if Kate could or could not make it, we we had to stop and start again. So hooray, it's happening. This is a show. So who's got a geeky thing that they either loved or disliked this week? I have one. You have one. What a surprise. It's almost like this is the second time we've done this bit. Yeah, no no one will have any idea. So what did Um, you like and or dislike this week? I read a book on, it's called uh, The Great Zoo of China. Yes. And um, it's basically Jurassic Park, but with dragons instead of dinosaurs. And they discover these dragon eggs, like, deep under the earth. China does, anyway. And they build a zoo um, to keep these dragons in. And obviously it goes terribly, because they're dragons. Have none of the people in this book seen Jurassic Park? It's actually mentioned at one point. (laughs) They mentioned Jurassic Park, yet they still think it's a good idea. It's um, it's genuinely one of the characters said, um, and they think this is a good idea. Have none of you ever seen Jurassic Park? No, and the... then the the people in charge say, no, 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 it's fine. Um, it's not a problem. We have state of the art technology that keeps dragons in check because of this, 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 and this. And then obviously the dragons lose their shit. Well, here's the thing. And, um, like advanced science couldn't keep the the dinosaurs encaged. This is basically dinosaurs that have wings and can breathe fire. Actually, only a select few could breathe fire. And they were technically dinosaurs like the way that it was written was these these dragons were um related to pterodactyls and um only like the they're called super kings. Um <laughs> Because there's three sizes of dragons. There's princes, which are like the size of a horse. And then there's kings, which are the size of a bus. And then there's emperors, which are the size of um, a like a Boeing 747, basically. A really big plane. And, um, and then there's the super kings, which are even bigger. And the super emperors, which are even bigger than that. This sounds like a very safe thing to be trying to create an amusement park around. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, there's the seven four seven sized one, and then the bigger one, and then the bigger one, and some of them breathe fire. Yeah, how could this go wrong? <laughs> yeah. It's um, it was really bizarre, and um, one of the uh, yeah, it's really really strange. Um, the way it's written really annoyed me because certain things, like the dragons, use bits of the theme park as weapons. So, like, they'll swoop down. It's so, a, sorry, this sounds amazing. Yeah. They'll swoop down, pick up a truck, and then throw it at someone. Right. And um, whenever they do it, um, it's written in italics, like you're supposed to be shocked by it. And I'm like, I would have been shocked by it anyway. You know, <laughs> like, you don't have to put it in italics to be is, like, and then this happened. And is I would it have been bad like, that I would watch this if this was a, like, low-budget B-movie? Yeah. I would watch it if it was a low-budget yeah. movie. If this was, like, by the director of, like, The Room, I would watch this. I would watch, like, Tommy Wiseau's, like, Dinosaur Park, and... Dragon Park. Yeah, but it'd have to be loads of, like, there'd have to be a football being thrown around by the dragons at any given Ex- point. Exactly. And I just, um, I don't like the, the portrayal of dragons. Like, obviously, they're a mythical creature, so their um, personalities are up for debate. 
but I don't like the idea of them as just like animals, really. Like I like them as sort of an above. The kind of the appeal of them is they're sort of like um, majestic nature as like these intelligent, powerful beings. Yeah, like they're a force of nature rather than an animal. And so it annoys me when I read books when they're an animal. Um, Interesting. And, oh. I wonder, is, is that like something that's quite common around the fandom as well? Because I've often wondered about when stories portray dragons as like highly intelligent creatures, a little bit like Dragon Riders of Pern kind of thing. I don't know. I, I think it is. I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of dragons as like animals, really. Um, I think the way that they did it was quite interesting, like their um, explanations of why it happened um like how the dragons were there and things like that um that was quite good the bit where one of the dragons started speaking mandarin chinese um sort of did require quite a suspension of disbelief Hmm. um that was very strange uh but yeah otherwise it was a good way to kill my flight (laughs) because <laughs> you were in Malta this last week I have been in Malta this last week how has Malta been for you? very very hot tell us about Malta well um, it's lovely I had a really good time you stole um, all of the British sunshine because the day you left it poured with rain for three days in August <laughs> no it was I'm a bad person um, yeah it was good um, do you want to talk my... about the story where you did a backflip? <laughs> That's a good story. Tell us about the backflip. Okay. Um, For my birthday, which was yesterday, I turned 21. Um, Yay! Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, My dad booked me and my friend and my sister on this this cruise around the island. Um, Or, well, the islands. Um, It was around Malta, Camino, and Gozo, and, like, the little ones as well, St. Paul's Island and all that. Um, And it was really cool, but we... Uh, we stopped off off the coast of Gozo, off the red coast, and we were swimming. And they sort of started off this like diving competition. So these two Australians who were swimming, and they just started um, rating everyone who dived in. <laughs> so someone would dive in, and there'd be a huge splash, and they'd be like, mm, "I'd give that a five. What do you think, Rach? Yeah, yeah, five. <laughs> um, so then it sort of ended up with a few people would dive into the water. And then swim around, climb back on the boat, and then dive off again. And I was like, this is really boring. You know, like, it's just diving. It's really boring to watch. Someone needs to do a flip. And my sister was like, well, you should do a flip. And I was like, oh, actually, I can do a flip. There was this guy next to me who was like, really, can you? And I was like, yeah, yeah. It's been about seven years since I did any diving whatsoever, (laughs) let alone trying a somersault. Um, But anyway, so the whole boat is basically standing everyone on the boat is standing along the edge and they're all going yeah go on do a flip and I was like all right then so I did a flip and I didn't go all the way around I'm a bit out of shape (laughs) so I didn't go all the way over and I did a belly flop but backwards so I landed on my back like flat on my back in the water and it was agony it was so painful (laughs) and then because the entire boat was watching me I had to try and get out of the water like it didn't hurt. And like I couldn't breathe. I was like breathing like because <laughs> it hurt so much. And then they were like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I didn't really go exactly as I'd planned. But uh, 
yeah, it was fine. And then I just had to stand there while my pack was like on fire. Aww. And my friend and my sister just drew faces because my my back was so red that they just drew smiley faces in my skin. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, so that was fun. So what else did you do while you were in Malta? Um, you saw lots of cats. I did see lots of cats. Tell us about the cats. There's a um, like a cat rescue place near my dad's. And uh, whenever we go up there, we go out there, we go up to the cat sanctuary and we like, we help out there for a bit. And um, that was really nice because um, the cats are also needy, like they don't get any attention because the people, like there's so many cats, there's something like 300 cats there. Um, and they have like three regular volunteers and otherwise they rely on holiday makers <laughs> or like volunteers who come out for a few weeks. Um, and they just don't have enough stuff. Like, they spend all day feeding and cleaning the cats, and they just don't have time to to play with them. So um, I play with them when I go out there, and they love it. Like, they absolutely love it. And some of them are feral um, but and don't really like people, but the rest of them, like, you can sit down and you're immediately swarmed. Like all You sit down and just... suddenly you have, like, 12 new best friends. <laughs> yeah, and they're all on your lap, and there was one that was just so, like, he was, like, making biscuits on my tummy, and um, I've just got, like, scratches all the way across. And there was one that tried to climb in your bag. It's like, yeah. I'm coming home with you. It was, um, I, I bought a new handbag while I was out there, but the first handbag I had with me, um, was just claimed by about three cats. They just sat in it. They were just like, this is mine now. And they were like, this is my bag now. And I was like, all right, can I just get my foot? No, okay, all right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you had a nice week away. Did you do anything yes. else that's particularly you want to share? Um, well, I read up about the history of Malta, which is like really interesting. Um, and I could go on about it for a very long time, so I'll just have to sort of keep it short. But um, I think Malta's a country that doesn't really get mentioned very much. Mm. And it's really, it's a shame because they've got such a rich history. Like, it, you can see it everywhere. Um, Am I right in thinking it was um, an island that was, is pretty vital for the Second World War efforts? Yes. Or it was used yeah. as a station for Allied forces? Yeah, yeah. Um, because it was in the middle of sort of the Axis shipping routes. Um, and so, because it was part of the British Empire at the time, and it was never actually conquered, um, the Maltese people rebelled against the, um, I can't remember who was in charge, but they rebelled against the people who owned Malta at the time, and they gave the country to the British. Hmm. Um, so, that was quite interesting. But, um, anyway... Um, yeah, the uh, the British Navy set up a huge um, like base on Malta, and the entire country was awarded the the King's Cross um, as like a medal for bravery. And um, up until they were the first country, entire country, to be given it, and one other country got given it in two thousand and two, I think, and that's it forever. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. Like the whole place is just steeped in history and. Um, it goes right back to St. Paul was uh, shipwrecked off the coast of Malta on his way to Rome. And he f was the one who converted the Maltese people to Christianity um, from paganism. 
and then they were captured by the Phoenicians and the Greeks and the Romans and the uh, who else uh, and the Muslims and a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, like it was just over and over and over again. Um, but a lot of the time it was like bloodless, you know, um, which was really cool. And um, yeah, I I just think like the the Saint Paul stuff to me is so interesting um, that he was supposedly there um and he lived there for three months i think um and not a single person died in the shipwreck he was shipwrecked on what's called saint paul's islands well they weren't called that at the time but they are now and um well yeah it's just a really interesting country like and the the language is made up of sort of everyone who's ever uh, conquered them or like ruled them so it's a mixture of like Arabic, Sicilian Spanish, Italian um, it's a really difficult one to learn hmm. Sounds like English then <laughs> Yeah, it's probably true um, Yeah and for some reason they seem to really like cats because all the postcards <laughs> have cats on them, all the like the little touristy tat stuff you get it's all got cats on it or owls, which is great for me because I love cats and owls. Isn't that perfect? Yeah. Hurrah. And it's really funny as well because it's a, uh, it's quite a big like destination for stag nights. So they sell like penis-shaped bottle openers and. Um, yeah, Tilly may have bought her friend a sort of realistically proportioned wooden penis bottle opener. Yeah, I'm um, I'm amazed at how. Anatomy, anatomically corrected it. Also, um, initially I didn't realise it was a bottle opener. I thought part of it was like the slide for a slide whistle. I thought it was a penis shaped slide whistle. <laughs> they do sell those. Actually, I know. I thought you were going to put your lips on it and just be like, <laughs> making sounds with it. And then there's like cups with boobs on them. Um, it's it's quite it's quite cool. <laughs> so hooray! That was Malta. Um, Gemma. What about you? You got any things to talk about this week? Well, speaking of flying and traveling, I suppose, oh. actually, what imme- pretty much immediately followed the uh, live recording episode, because um, I, I hung around Nine Worlds until what I hoped would be a dead dog party on Monday, and it turned out not to be the case. Um, and we were flying quite late out on the Monday evening. The convention had wrapped up Sunday evening and stuff. So we spent the day in London at the London Transport Museum. <gasps> So what I a huge surprise! Gemma went to a place that's to do with public transport. I am so shocked. <laughs> well, it's weird now, actually, given that the first transport museum I've seen was Stockholm's one. So I had that as a point of comparison for London's one. And how did, saying, how did London compare to Stockholm? Pretty favourably. I mean, it's it actually gets talked about quite a lot. It's an award-winning museum, and I can see why. It is actually quite a nice place. It's worth going on a weekday, though. Because we had actually tried to go before and it just triggered every one of our social anxiety things and overexposure warnings. So we just hung around the shop and then went out. It, it could be a mad place on weekends, don't go. I can imagine, yes. Yeah. But the no, it was interesting. And although we we kind of went through it quite quickly because we, we had a few hours to kill, but there could have been so much more we could have seen. We did at least get to see things like um, they have a preserved engine and carriage from the first tube train, uh, which seems to have been one which did the Baker Street and Waterloo Railway, i.e. the Bakerloo. And it's a 
rather, rather claustrophobic sort of thing. I mean, it kind of occupies a tube the same size as it is now, but they didn't put windows into the original characters. So you had all these people like, with helpful signs on the wall saying, do not smoke in this carriage. So at least they thought that bit through. <laughs> what they did was they put in little mirrors above the benches. So you sat in, imagine a tube train as it is, but it's made of wood. It's got the same shape and everything. The seats are pretty much as they are in normal tube trains in that they're all along the walls, but they're sort of higher backed. So rather than a window, you've got something that basically comes up to your neck. But above that is a mirror, like a really small mirror. And then they just run the length of the carriage. And that was supposed to create the illusion that there was a little bit more space than there was. Turned out some people were rather spooked out by this. So they then sort of like, basically had to punch holes in the carriage and like get some proper glass put in. And they're still really <laughs> tiny mirrors. We're talking letterbox size. But yeah, this is what uh-huh. people originally put around the Bakerloo one. So um, there's all sorts of stuff like that. And of course, like massive displays celebrating the Johnston typeface and um, all this sort of thing, like exposures to the various design phases that have gone through the underground. And yeah, it was a, a nice experience, actually. Yeah. Uh, and I was glad to have finally ticked it off. We've also got this lovely. kind of fun gamified thing for it. So when you go in, you get this uh, card which you can stamp with like ticket press kind of things at various <gasps> points around the museum. So I got all but the very first one of those. So I've still got that card now. And the nice thing is if you get uh, admission to the museum, it covers you for a year. So we, we might swing back in like later on when we're in the <laughs> UK and just get this last stamp in just for completion's sake. Oh, exactly. You you can't stop one shy of completion, can you? Well, indeed not. So yeah, that 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 was quite nice. Along with uh, the fact that because we our hotel was in Heathrow for the con, we had to go in via the Piccadilly line right to Covent Garden, and then did a little brief little tour, just kind of reliving our past hobby kind of things. But, oh. yeah. Uh, what yeah. did I what did what did I do this last couple of weeks? Um, oh, I watched an anime since yesterday. In the last twenty four hours, I, I watched twenty five episodes of an anime called Gurren Lagann, which, the short version, it's about humanity's living underground because there's some big scary things up on the surface, and one kid with a drill's like, ah, let's get drill up to the surface, and then he ends up finding a giant robot and. Basically, it's kind of like imagine the uh, the Jaegers from Pacific Rim, but they're fighting like things that are just like monsters with giant faces, and it's very similar to um, the big comparison point I had to it was um, Platinum Games, the company that do like Bayonetta and things, did a game called The Wonderful One Hundred and One, which is very tonally similar to this because it's a twenty-five episode long anime series, and it hits episode fifteen. And basically episode 15 of this series is when any other TV show or anime would finish. Like, you've escalated to the big final confrontation and you beat the final boss and like there's no, no like implication that there's anything more to do after this and the world is saved and everything's lovely. And you've had your big, huge, climactic anime fight scene moment that's like as big as you imagine any show's going to get in terms of scope. And then you're like, there's another 10 episodes. What's going to happen here? And it just kind of keeps escalating. Like, there's like, oh, okay, episode 16. Turns out there is a bigger foe. And by the end of it, it's like, where episode 15 had ended with, like, 
okay, you defeated this one guy who drove humanity underground and you beat his big robot. Instead, it's like, oh, you're now a giant robot inside a gianter robot inside a gianter robot that is the size of a galaxy fighting a robot that can alter reality itself, having a reality-altering space battle across a galaxy. Oh, anime. Yeah, it's like, it is the most impressive thing I have seen in terms of, oh yeah, that was a satisfying conclusion. Oh wait, no, that wasn't a satisfying conclusion. This is a satisfying conclusion. I've never seen anything get quite as over-the-top in scale as Kurin Lagan did. And yeah, it's basically, like, it's got a lot of really nice themes about um, sort of self-belief and getting over self-doubt and, um, like, the very early on it's there's this really nice phrase that's used like in episode one that i really like as like a recurring theme throughout this show which is um believe in the me that believes in you and it's this idea of Hmm. like person a has very little self-worth and person b says hey you might not trust yourself and your ability to do this but you trust me right well i trust you so believe in the me that believes in you if you trust me, then know that I trust you and that you should believe in yourself. And it's this really nice sort of recurring motif of like, hey, I believe in you and you believe in me, right? Therefore, you should believe in yourself. And it's used to really nice effect. Um, I remember Laura telling me that and I was like so touched and then I found out it was from an anime. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. It's, 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 it's Don't a, like it so much anymore. Shut up. It's, <laughs> it's this really nice motif that's like, it's basically the entire anime is basically built around like a combination of that and this idea of like, hey, things might be futile. Even if there's like 0.1% of a chance that something could succeed, you've got to give it a try and you've got to try and succeed. And it's just really, it was really uplifting. I got to the end of it and I was just like, yeah, I can do anything right now. So I really enjoyed Gurren Logan. Um, my big complaints about it were that A, the first few episodes, like the first three or four episodes are very lighthearted and don't really sort of keep the tone of the rest of the show. And like, I know I've tried to watch it before and never really got into it because like I never hit the point where it started to really pick up. There is also a slightly slow portion when one character sort of uh, spends a few episodes in a row moping around like, oh, I can't do this. And it felt like that little mini arc went on slightly too long. But by the time I got to the end of the show, I was like, I don't care about any of that anymore. This is amazing. <laughs> so, Gurren Lagan, if you like the idea of like giant battling space robots and self-belief and families forged through fighting, but they're all happy and sweet and it's lovely and everyone everyone mel- melts my heart. Then and go why watch- wouldn't you be? Yeah, so go watch <laughs> Gurren Lagan. It's, it's really good. Um, and like it doesn't have any of the problems that it's uh, the the creator's other show, Kill the Kill, has, where there is like, oh yeah, that's a lot of over the top boobs everywhere and really creepy themes about like weird stuff between parents and children. None of that creepy stuff is in this one, so I'm like, okay, this I prefer to Kill the Kill. So yay, Gurren Lagan is good. Uh, what else did we do this week? Everyone's gone quiet. Should I say another oh. thing I watched this week? Well, you might as well, because the thing, the other thing I want to talk about is kind of serious. Okay, okay. Well, I'll get another silly thing out of the way then. So um, this week, while Tilly was away, I started watching something that I'd never watched before. And 
I'm a big fan of the Blackadder series, which is like a BBC show that's um, that's set in a couple of different time periods. Like, there's one where it's like, oh, Richard the Seventh is in power, and like, there's another series that's in the trenches in World War One, and it's this sort of British co- British comedy staple. But what I'd never watched before was the very first series of that show, which mm. is tonally very different. Like, if you know Blackadder, yeah. the very first season. The two title roles of Blackadder and Baldrick are completely reversed. Baldrick, who through the rest of the run of this show is an absolute idiot, is not an idiot in the first season. He is he is the sort of knowledgeable one in control, and Blackadder, rather than being the knowledgeable one in control, is an idiot. And it's very, very surreal to like I've never watched that first season. It's not great. But it was very weird seeing how they initially ran this show thinking like, oh yeah, this will work. And then we're like, oh no, okay, we've got to switch these two characters around to make this work properly. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic because it's also worth saying, I mean, that's got Brian Blessed as, I think it's King Richard. Mm. Um, and Edmund Blackadder is his um, ridiculous nephew, I think. And so he's, it's basically Blackadder played off against his elder brother, Who's? Mm. Uh, oh no! I think actually Edmund's the elder brother sibling. I might have that wrong. It's, it's been a little they're, they're while. They're siblings of each other in one way or the other. Yeah. But they're basically competing for like titles and ownership and stuff. And mm. basically, Blackhead is always trying to put himself ahead in the political agenda by assassination, if needs be. Yeah. For some reason, Baldrick goes along with this. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's very interesting watching that dynamic shift around because, like, the best I can tell. At some point during recording that first season, they realized, oh, wait, Roman Atkinson's much better as the serious person to be played off of rather than the sort of idiot comic foil. Hmm. And I don't know when they worked that out, but I sort of watched like half of this first season, then skipped ahead to season two and was like, yeah, this works infinitely better. Um, there, Stephen Fry plays someone in season two, um, which I'd completely forgotten. I was like, oh, Stephen Fry, you're great. Um, Season two has one of my favorite characters in anything, which is Lord Flashheart, who is an over-the-top sort of very traditionally masculine in the way that he's sort of portrayed, where he's like, woof, woof, and thrusting and stuff, but equally very, equally feminine. Like the first episode you see him turn up in, um, there is a woman who's been pretending to be a man through the whole episode, and him and this woman fall in love and she's like well I prefer men's clothes and then he's like well I prefer dresses and they go off switching each other's clothes and go off into the sunset I was like that's for a character that is first introduced as being over the top excessively traditionally masculine I was like that's you know not a bad way to end his introduction but he's lovely and I love him as a character so yeah Blackadder is great I can't believe I'd never watched the first season until now and my word it's very different Mm. It's interesting timing, actually, because uh, I started rewatching Blackadder about two years ago, actually, at my now husband's place. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I originally watched it when they showed uh, repeats of the series on mm. Fridays on BBC. It, it used to run in roughly the same slot as Robot Wars, I seem to remember. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was going to like watch the series through. Um, and because we moved to Sweden, we left all our like dvds and file servers and stuff so i've got some catching up to do well, it's, it's all particular... on netflix i believe i don't know whether it's on your netflix but we've got it over here oh yeah yeah netflix in sweden might be a bit different 
Um, but yeah, we have like DVDs and stuff. Um, but my motivation to catch up is a bit more accelerated with the news this week that they're looking to shoot another series of Blackadder. I had no idea about this. I am excited by that, though. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that's what you were going to mention. Yeah, it no, was announced. I, I just had no idea. I was scrolling through Netflix and I came across it. Uh huh. Yeah, it was announced a couple of days ago, and uh, the, the best quote was from Tony Robinson, who said, there's basically nothing stopping us now other than Hugh Laurie's fee. <laughs> um, uh, so <laughs> we just to see what, what they're getting him to do. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting show, because like I used to watch on and off episodes um, when they were on TV, just like out of order. And you didn't need to watch them in order, but um, the first one that I vividly remember watching that sold me on the idea of that show was the the final episode of the World War One series, hmm. which was like equal measures comedy and really sort of touching sadness, is like because that like the final episode of that World War One series is the run up to these soldiers deciding to like to have to go up over the trenches and like make them like attempt to get across to the other side, hmm. and it's this really sort of interestingly very very well handled mix of comedy and like really heavy themes and it balances yeah. them really well i think and like i i remember i think i've shown that in like gcse history <laughs> and being like this is great where can i see more of this hmm. so yeah that was that's blackadder the first season if you've never seen it is really weird and different um but anyway Gemma, you have a serious thing to talk about for a bit <laughs> Yes, well, somewhat, and sadly. Um, again, it's going back a couple of weeks, so it might be old news to people. But, uh, yeah, August, as well as being the time of Nine Worlds, is also when the Worldcon is held. And I mentioned this in an episode last year, because I managed to attend. Um, it was held in London that year. This year, it was Sasquan, which was... Uh, the name is completely gone. Somewhere in North America. I believe it's the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the thing with Worldcon is it's where the Hugo Awards are held. And for those who don't know, it's science fiction. Um, it, it's the, the main book award, basically, a literary award for um, things related to science fiction as well. But this year, as in video games, perhaps, <laughs> um, it was rather played by controversy. Um, it was try to sum up as easily as possible because it's a very complex thing. So basically there were two parties sprung up uh, calling themselves sad puppies and rabid puppies. Um, Both of these were spawned by basically misogynistic authors and science fiction fans who were beginning to see uh, the Hugo Awards becoming a bit meaningless they wanted to take charge of the awards. And in the Sad Puppies case, it seems to have been they wanted uh, science fiction to be less about diversity and issues and feelings in space and more about rockets and ray guns again. Whereas the do, rabid- do they not realize that like those themes have always existed in science fiction? And that's like one of the primary reasons that sci-fi exists is to tackle themes of diversity that society isn't ready to tackle unless they're, you know, abstracted in some way. Is that not like a huge part of why sci-fi came to be? This is crediting those people with a certain sense of awareness, which they tend not to have. Um, 
along with this, I think shortly after, there's the Rabid Puppies group, which uh, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think they took a more hardline approach and basically said, we don't like more diverse authors coming into the medium. They're a bit more openly like racist and misogynist and stuff. How lovely. Mm. So ultimately, the expression of this has been that the way the Hugo Awards work is if you have membership of the previous year's Worldcon, you are eligible to nominate books, authors, various associated media for the next year's awards and vote on them. And right. it's actually rel- because of the way the system works, it's actually relatively easy to get a nomination in. One of the ways this is usually handled as a voter is you can subscribe to packets of votes. So prominent authors and critics will often suggest a load of nominations that you can back and that will, you can basically vote for them all in one go and then get a submission through. With these sad puppies and rabid puppies basically forming whole packets of books and authors they approved of, they're basically attempting to skew the awards back to something which was much less diverse because in recent years we've had more women and people from minorities getting awards Hmm. Um, the nice thing is that the science fiction community is mostly great people Uh, so for the most part they didn't win as far as I know none of the uh, these slates of um, sort of of puppy approved pieces were actually given awards in some cases this is sad because there are actually authors who've who've declined Hugo Awards based on the fact they were put on these slates and they do not agree with it Um, they they would not accept a vote from misogynists and horrible people the other other side of it is um, a number of the awards which were actually voted um, sorry, given out um, have actually come up as no award so we have a list of, I think it's uh, something like 15 or 16 awards are given out at the Hugos. Mm. And at least half a dozen of them are just no award because basically people campaigned. They ticked the no award option rather than one of the prescribed options from the puppy political people. So that was kind of sad, but also interesting that, like yeah. I said, that's the expression it's, of people saying we will not stand for this. Yeah, it's sad that it it had to work out that way, but it's uplifting to know that people were willing to fight back and be like, no, we're not going to let you, you know, bully your way into this. Yeah. So some people from more diverse backgrounds have won awards. Um, for example, Best Fan Writer and Best Fan Artist, both looking at this, both, both are women. Um, the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer went to Wesley Chu. Um, and yeah, it's an interesting one. So th- there's been a lot of interesting writing about this topic. So if people weren't aware of this happening, I suggest you look it up. I believe Boing Boing did a good summary of it. Um, I was completely unaware of this, but Boing Boing are generally pretty good at their writing. So I will definitely be giving a look. Hmm. Um, on a happier note, I mean, one of the things is I don't tend to keep up with this too much because I'm not particularly well read. I tend to stick with, actually, I seem to re- read more fantasy lately anyway. Um, I think there are, there are just some fan- fantasy crossovers and stuff. But it's worth saying that actually a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation slash long-form thing was given to Guardians of the Galaxy. <gasps> and Best Dramatic Presentation or Short Form Piece was to Orphan Black by means which have never yet been tried. Ooh. So that episode, I guess, <laughs> won an award, a Hugo Award, um, which happens to be a very pretty award, by the way. 
if you, if you Google yeah, Hugo Awards, it's, it's, it's very, like a really retro nice rocket. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, Hugo's have had an interesting time of it, basically. Spun off from this whole feeling of, well, we don't want diversity in our medium. Well, actually, turns out science fiction fans do. And oh. they back it to the hilt. So it's been really nice. Also, as a side to this, actually, I just remembered that um, over the course of this, one of the things they do at the World Cons is they vote for the location of the next one in two years' time. So the LundCon uh, thing from 2014 was voted two years previous. Uh, the winner for 2017 was Helsinki, which is my favorite. Yeah. Um, so the 2017 Worldcon is going to be in Helsinki. Um, and it, so I'm really hoping to go to that one because then the can, I could also then take part in the voting for the 2019 location. for which and you it's a can strong vote cam- for it to be in Sweden somewhere. Well, actually, no, the 2019 yeah? oh. campaign, I'm looking at Dublin. It's being backed oh. by Esther McCallum Stewart, amongst other people. So uh, if she's backing something for Dublin, then I'm behind it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So that was, that was Worldcon news. <laughs> Worldcon, woo! Um, what, have, what, what else have I done recently? Um, I played a couple of video games that I hadn't previously played, so I'm going to talk about some video games. Um, are you aware of a video game called Super Hot? Uh, only by name. Okay, I had... I was aware of the idea. I hadn't put like the the name and like idea of this game together, but it's a first person shooter where your enemies only move when you're moving. Oh yes, no, I do know mm. this one. It's, yes, it's, it's got this very stark art style where it's like um, mm. very white like walls and um, furnishings of rooms, but your enemies are all sort of like bright red, sort of made of like gems and things, and they shatter when you shoot them. But the mm. whole idea is that like if you turn then like enemies will slowly move as you're turning not very quickly um if you're stood still things do still move but incredibly slowly so like you could see a bullet very slowly inching its way towards you and you've got plenty of time to react and it's when you're sort of like physically moving around the floor that other like projectiles and enemies in the world will move at real time and basically the whole idea is that you have plenty of time to stop react to what's happening uh, work out the best solution, move around bullets and things, assess your situation. It's a very strategic first-person shooter. Like, I ended up playing it kind of... Like, the best genre definition I could find for it, which feels kind of um, deliberately juxtaposed in the way it's des- described, is like it feels like a real-time, turn-based puzzle game. And I know real-time and turn-based don't really work together. Because it's like it's essentially turn-based. You have all of the turn-based elements where it is, hey, let's assess the map, work out what we want to do next, make our move. And then when you start moving, it's real-time in that you're moving at the same time as your enemies. It's a very weird genre to try and describe, but it felt more like a puzzle game where it was, okay, what's around me? What's going to happen? Where can I move to avoid being hit? Do I have time to do things like um, things like reloading don't happen while you're stood still. So you have to move around watching your gun slowly reload until you're like, okay, now it's reloaded. I can start aiming again. Um, Things like picking up weapons or throwing things will take time and you have to sort of judge how close is that bullet to me? Do I have time to like do this action before it hits me or do I need to focus on moving out of its path? 
And it's a really interesting way to play a first-person shooter because I don't have the Twitch reactions required for that genre. Hmm. But it's really interesting to basically treat those first-person shooter encounters as slower-paced puzzle encounters and to still have that feeling of, yeah, I'm I'm a badass. I shot all those people and was invincible and no one could touch me. But you get to do it at a much slower, more relaxed pace. Which I thought hmm. was interesting. Like, it actively punishes you for for rushing into things. You will yeah. probably die a lot if you try and do anything at, at speed. This is kind of a segue, but I feel like Beautiful Joe did a similar thing for 2D beat-em-up mm. games. Be- Beautiful Joe did similar things, like, as part of, like, a meter you could unlock where it's like, oh, well, I have meter, now I can sort of have my slowdown time and do those things. I guess the difference I think for this is that like this is 100% of the time you are in control of everyone else's movement speed. Yeah. Which is like it's taking some of those ideas from something like Beautiful Joe I guess and taking them to an extreme. Which I really enjoyed. I thought that was really enjoyable. Um which I think what else I've played recently. Have you got anything else you want to talk about Telly? Well, there is the small thing about my bracelet, which I think is really funny. Okay, tell us about your bracelet. Um, Basically, my dad went back to South Africa a few weeks ago, and he brought me back a bracelet that has the word Africa on it, and it's spelled Mm -hmm. A-F-R-I-K-A. And I've been making fun of him for it all week because it's spelled wrong. I'm like, hey, you bought me a bracelet that's spelled wrong, and it turns out that it's an Afrikaans. Yeah. So that's that is how it's meant to be spelt. That just made me laugh. Oh, Bobby. Um, someone on Twitter asked if we could discuss the last Terry Pratchett book that just came out. I haven't read it. Have if you? anyone has opinions on that. Sadly, not. I'm a big fan, but I ended up uh, making the mistake of trying to read Discworld chronologically. Ah. And I got, I ran out of money at about book 14. <laughs> so I've not even managed to catch up. I, 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 oh, so yeah, go on. I gather it's uh, got, oh, no, her name's gone completely out of my head. The girl from, um, I'm thinking of Tiffany Aching, maybe. I can't remember if the protagonist was, but yeah. Um, I find Terry Pratchett is quite hit and miss for me some Mm. things are great and some things don't really hit the mark with me yeah i i read a lot of terry pratchett books growing up because my mother was in really into terry pratchett and like that was my go-to i don't know what to get you for a birthday or christmas what terry pratchett books do you not have i'll find one of them and get one of those um and as a result i kind of ended up like reading a lot of terry pratchett and i very much agree like what was the one you were reading recently uh good good omens I read that ages ago. Yeah, well, it wasn't it was that long ago, but it was quite a long time ago. It was when I was still working at school uniform shop. Okay, well, Good Omens, like Good Omens, is a good book. Um, like, there's a lot of good Terry Pratchett books, but equally, there's a lot of them that, like, I find actively difficult to read. Like, they feel like they feel very unwelcoming. Like, they don't want me reading them, <laughs> and that's that's an odd sensation. And I get that from like. Maybe not half of his books, but like a good chunk of his books where I'm like, these I love. These are really weirdly like difficult to get into. Hmm. I think it's an interesting series given that I certainly have my favorite storylines. And a lot of people do tend to gravitate, for example, towards the City Watch books. 
they feel a lot more upfront funny they they seem more like they reference like a you could see it as a tv series to be honest mm. um some people don't get along with the three witches of lanka for example um and i always I always found them a little bit dense to get into until i realized ah it's all like it's feminism in a, a fantasy a medieval fantasy world and kind of got into that but uh i like the nice we, thing is we like, free men i liked yeah, I've not read anywhere near enough of the Nat McFeagle ones. Mm. Um, there is a I lot of Terry Pratchett to read, isn't there? Yeah, there's a lot of Terry Pratchett to get through as well. Yeah, I think it's sort of like 50 books or something like that now, um, which I really do want to read eventually. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my the, the fact I've started at the beginning means I can't bring myself to skip to the end. That is fair enough. Yeah. So yeah, well, I'm a up. fan. Uh, have we got any other things? Gemma, do you have any other things you'd like to talk about this week? Uh, I did. It's completely gone out of my head. <laughs> da, da, da. Well, actually, no, it's kind of a fun thing. One of the things I really liked, I mean, um, liking XKCD as a webcomic is not <laughs> anything particularly remarkable. There's one that caught my eye uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, synonym Movies. And Randall Monroe has posted another one of these as like a follow-up. Basically, it's just really simple. He's drawn a DVD shelf of synonym movies. So he's got like Space Fights, Sudden Optimism, and <laughs> uh, The Jewelry God, The Jewelry Team, as Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> um, Space Trip, the movie uh, for Star Trek, I think. And Space Trip, That Guy's Angry. <laughs> I just felt really into it. So, like, probably should have given you some warning, but I thought I wanted to submit it to see if you could think of any other synonym movies. Oh, okay. Let's let's have a think. Because um... I noticed there's something that people have done on Twitter recently as well is like okay. describe classic games in a really awful fashion. Okay. Uh, Spectre fighters. Spectre fighters. Ghosts. No, oh, not getting that one. Ghostbusters. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> um, Shelley, can you think of any? No. No. Um, um, I've got a health to be able to look at DVD shelf, and I've got a really small collection here. <laughs> um, the Divine Male Parent. The God Delusion. No, close though. You're on, you the got God- part oh, of Oh, the it. Godfather. Yeah, the Godfather. Yeah. There yeah. we go. There's There's some things off the top of my head. It's the sort of thing which takes some thinking, but like, if anyone can think of any more, like, tweet them at the Geek Night Inn because I'd yes. like to see them whilst I'm like. I will have a happy chuckle seeing them. <laughs> so yeah, I we're a little bit we're a little bit short this week. I think everyone's a little bit tired and stuff tonight. I know I'm worn out tonight. Are we up for 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 wrapping this up as a slightly short episode this week? Yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna I've got another show to record straight straight after this anyway. So thank it's you. It's holiday very... season. It's fine. Exactly. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. This week. Sorry that it's a slightly short episode. Tilly's just got back from Malta, and I'm all sleepy and stuff. So yeah, we'll have another episode for you again next week. Um, Tilly, where can people find you and the stuff you do on the internet? Um, I am at Gathering Tilly on Twitter, and you can find my book on Patreon which is patreon.com forward slash valence killer. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and what about you, Gemma? Where can people find you and your things on the internet? You can find most of my things um, at Raygun Goth on Twitter. I'm also on YouTube as The Raygun Goth, where you can also find I basically re recorded the Video Brains talk I did at Nine Worlds Geek Fest. So if you want seven and a half minutes on public transportation in games, which I'm told was well received, um, it's not quite the same as being at a Video Brains event, but at least I got my thoughts down. Right. And then you can find me on pretty much everything at Laura K Buzz. So Laura K Buzz on Twitter, iTunes, YouTube, Twitch, what have you. Um, You can also find me at Laura K Buzz on Patreon. Currently, if you go to Patreon, I am on the top of the the homepage and have been for the last three days. So you can just go to patreon.com and see me there as their featured (laughs) featured creator. Because apparently I make... Just find me at Patreon. I love that. Just just find me at (laughs) patreon.com. Um, other than that, Destructoid, Polygon, Kotaku, The Guardian. I had a thing up on Kotaku this week that I was quite happy with. So, yeah, just Google Laura K. Buzz. You'll find most of my stuff somewhere. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening, and we'll have another episode for you again next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.